Good morning, Good News. Uh, my name is Adam. This is my wife, Megan. We're members here at Good News Church. Uh, we just wanted to take some time to welcome you this morning. Um, if you're new or just visiting, uh, there's a Connect card on the seat in front of you. Um, if you can fill that out, you can drop it in the black box in the back. Otherwise, if you're watching online, there's a button somewhere over here uh, that you can click on and fill out that card as well. Um, so the father-daughter dance is coming up in a few weeks. Um, I know my daughters are very excited about it. It's something we look forward to every year. Um, we've already RSVP'd, so you can also RSVP on the website. Uh, there should be some information on your seats as well. Um, Operation Christmas Child is kicking off. Um, we're actually going to start off with a quick video, so just watch this video. Three, two, one. When that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. You can hear the laughter. You can hear the cheer. That excitement, it goes and goes and goes. Right now, we're in Ukraine. And today, we've given out the 200 millionth shoebox to a little girl here. So it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for us to be able to come and to help the people as much as we can. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. There's so much joy that one gift box can give. They really experience the love of Jesus. At Operation Christmas Show, we celebrate something as simple as the shoe box because God uses it to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got a full box. such an amazing time. We're so happy to be here. This shoebox gift will impact a child's life all year round. We never dreamed we'd have an army of men and women who would come to make this program happen. This is what it's all about, telling others about Jesus. These shoeboxes go into 120 different countries where pastors and missionaries are going to use them to bring the gospel to kids. So you may think it's just a simple gift at Christmas time, but it's the gift of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. When that shoebox leaves that distribution center and it goes around the world, that's not just one person. That's the body of Christ joined together, delivering the good news of the gospel. They go by plane, they go by ship, they go by riverboat, they go by camels, they go by motorbikes. And these boxes go to some of the most remote areas of the world. And every box counts. After receiving shoeboxes, children are invited to participate in the Greatest Journey Discipleship Program. These children have just completed 12 lessons in the Greatest Journey. I believe that discipleship is the key, and they are now followers of Christ. They will tell their friends about Jesus. My name is Gladys, and I am nine years old. My friend Kemi told me I needed to go with her to church. I wanted to teach her about the Word of God. And when she came to my church, she received a gift box. For a long time, I asked my mom for a blanket. When I opened my shoebox, I found a blanket in it. When I came home, I showed it to my mom, and she said it was great. I told her about Jesus. Now me, my mom, my grandma, and Kemi go to church together. I am certain of one thing. 
God is my savior. Every box counts. Every box touches a child. It's like a snowflake. There's not one shoebox that is the same. And we are reaching millions of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. We are seeing churches being planted, and more and more churches are being built. We will do whatever it takes to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? The joy, the smiles, it changes lives. Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. All right, so we're super excited to be kicking off the Operation Christmas Child season. Um, if you're not familiar with it, um, there's some information on your seats. We have a display outside. Um, you can find Megan or I and talk to us about it. Um, but we will come back up here and talk uh, again next month about packing shoeboxes. Um, right now we're focused on preparing for our packing parties that we're going to have for the youth and student ministries. Uh, middle and high school students are going to have their packing party on November 1st, and the kids' ministry one is going to be on November 12th. Um, so we need your help to prepare for that. Um, shopping for items is a great way to help. Um, if you notice the bins out, outside, um, you can place items in there. There is a QR code up here, and it's outside as well, too, for an Amazon registry that has some suggestions or things that you can pick up. Um, you know, we always need things like personal items. There's, there's uh, examples on your list, but washcloths, socks, uh, school supplies like colored pencils and calculators, um, and just small toys like fidget uh, spinners, uh, wa some wow items like dolls and soccer balls are also great to put in there as well. Um, we do need uh, people to sponsor shoebox, so each shoebox uh, a is accompanied with a $10 donation um, that provides the, um, the materials, the training local leaders, shipping, all of those things. Um, so if you want to sponsor one shoebox, 10 shoebox, 50 shoeboxes, uh, come find us and we can help you uh, tell you how you can do that as well. Um, finally, so our goal for this year for the World Golf Hills Campus is 500 shoeboxes. Um, that's more than we've ever packed before, but we're being pretty ambitious with that goal. Um, the reason we are being ambitious with that is um, at Samaritan's Purse, you'll hear a phrase called God Room, um, and that comes directly from the founder of Samaritan's Purse, Bob Pierce, um, and I'm going to read you a quote uh, from him right now. So he says, God Room is when you have seen a need you believe God wants you to meet. You try, but you can't. After you've exhausted all your human effort, there's still a gap. No matter what you do, you just can't humanly bring it about. That's when you pray and leave room for God to work. You watch God close that gap. Commit yourself to bigger things than you can humanly do. Then you can watch God work a miracle. So we want to leave that God room in there for God to work a miracle in that. Um, the last thing we need your help with is prayer throughout the season. So um, just keep praying for these shoeboxes. And um, I'm actually going to start us off with uh, opening up the season with a word of prayer right now. Father God, uh, we just come to you in awe that you can use uh, something as simple as a shoebox to reach children all over the world with the gospel. We, we just 
are so amazed that you can use these gifts to open doors uh, in places where they have never been opened before. And you can use these gifts as an example of the ultimate gift that these children receive in salvation. Uh, we thank you for the lives that you uh, have reached and you will continue to reach through this ministry. Um, not just the children that you reach, but um, as we saw in the video, um, you reach their friends and their families and just entire communities uh, through these shoeboxes. We ask that you uh, just provide the supplies, the funds, um, the people um, that we need uh, for success here. And we ask that you guide those involved um, here at Good News Church, at Samaritan's Purse, and throughout the world, the local leaders there. Um, we just thank you that you use these uh, to reach the lost, and we ask that you use us to uh, reach these children. And we just raise all this up in your son's name. Amen. So my name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus of Good News Church. And I'm so glad that all of you are here this morning. Um, last week, many of you were not here because you were still at our Good News camp, and I want everybody who's here this morning to have a little bit of uh, insight into what exactly happened last weekend at our Good News weekend, so uh, y'all share this with me. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. Though the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, oh, oh, oh. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll Our camp next week, next year, is going to be September 13th, 14th, and 15th, so I just encourage you to mark your calendar, start saving, 
and uh, join us next year. It was an amazing, amazing uh, weekend. Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, and I encourage you to bring your Bible each week. If you don't have a Bible, watch on the screen. The uh, passage we'll be studying this morning will be up there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Dad, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to the message of the gospel this morning. I pray that it would move us out in mission with you. And I pray that Jesus, you would be glorified by what's said and heard. And Holy Spirit, take from the things that are true of Jesus and make them real to our hearts. All to the praise of God and his glorious grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past several weeks, we've been looking at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And several weeks ago, we learned that God has given us in Jesus a new life. And that that new life gives us a new purpose. And that, that new purpose is ours because we have a new leader, Jesus Christ, who's now master and Lord of our lives. Last week, uh, last week, we saw that Jesus invites us into a new community, a new community. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus invites us into a new mission, a new mission that we get to love the lost. That when the love of Jesus Christ moves into the center of our lives, we get to love lost people so that they could begin to understand just who Jesus Christ really is. Now, I know that there's a certain amount of discomfort that comes when, when you talk about evangelism. And pastors, this is a secret, I'll let you in on the secret, pastors feel uncomfortable about this too. Did you hear about the pastor and the evangelist that went hunting together? Pastor and evangelist, they go hunting together. They're out in the woods, and a bear comes upon them. Well, the evangelist and the pastor, they run back to their cabin looking for shelter, and the evangelist is just slightly faster than the pastor. So the evangelist gets to the cabin, and he opens the door to the cabin, and the pastor runs in, but the bear is right on their heels. So the bear runs into the cabin with the pastor, and the evangelist closes the door behind them. The pastor says, what are you doing? The evangelist says, my job is just get them in. The rest is up to you. Well, 
We all can feel slightly uncomfortable when it comes to talking about evangelism. But what we want to learn this morning, what we want to learn this morning is that when the love of Jesus moves in, this love of Jesus that that has an expulsive power, it's his love in us that enables us to love the lost. And that when the church is beautiful, loving one another well, the church is naturally attractive to lost people. That lost people, when they see the love that Christians have for one another, when they see the love we have for one another, we prove to be followers of Jesus, and they can't help but ask questions about this Jesus whom we've come to know. Listen, are you uneasy about evangelism? I want to help you this morning. And as we walk through this passage, I want us to learn three things, three things about our new mission, the call that God has put on our lives to love the lost. I'm praying that as you press these three truths into your heart, that you'll be moved you'll be moved to love the lost people around you. Here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn this morning to be empathetic to the reality of the lost, to be engaged in the release of the lost, and to be empowered by repentance. Now let's unpack each of those. First, we're going to learn to be empathetic to the reality facing the lost. Listen to verse 26 again. That they, the lost, may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. We should have great empathy with the reality facing the lost. Because such were, I, such were we. We faced the exact same reality that the lost faced, and by grace, by grace, we discovered Jesus. We could say that he discovered us. You see, the lost and we were at one time, we were mad. Mad. That's why Paul says that we had to come to our senses. That sin makes us mad. It makes us do insane things. It makes us say and think and do things that don't fit with the reality of the world that God made us to live in. Sin causes us to be out of our minds until grace moves in. When you read through the Gospels, when you read through the Gospels, you meet a man whose name was Legion. We meet him in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we meet this man. He lives... He lives out of his mind in the tombs. 
They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chain, a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Each of us, each of us are legion. We're mad because of sin. Sin causes us to act out as a crazy person. All of us are like legion. And so we should all be empathetic with the reality of the loss that they are mad with their sin and we should be empathetic with the reality of the lost because we know the one who set us free. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, they, they came to Jesus. After Jesus had set this man free, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. The reality of the lost is that they are mad with sin, but Jesus Christ can enable them as he enabled us to come to our senses. And what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus did for this man named Legion, is he set him he set him back into an image bearer. He restored his mind and his body. And when they observed the man, the people of Gerasene were frightened because they knew that no mere man, no mere man could do for this man what had been done for the demoniac, this man named Legion come to their senses. And then he says, escape the snare. Escape the snare. Not only does sin cause us to be mad, sin causes us to be ensnared. Sin is like a trap. Sin is like a trap set for us. And what animal would ever step into the trap if he saw the trap. You see, the reason the animal steps into the trap, steps into the snare, is because the animal doesn't see the snare. They only see the bait. And the same exact thing is what happens to our lost friends. And it's what once happened to each of us. That each of us were ensnared to sin. But do you know what Jesus Christ does? Jesus Christ sets us free. Psalm 124, verse 7, Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have 
escaped. We should be empathetic with the reality of the lost. They're mad with their sin, but Jesus has enabled us to come to our senses and he can do the same for them. Jesus, at one time we were held captive in the snare of sin, but we have been set free like a bird out of a snare. And then finally, the reality of the lost, according to verse 26, is that they are held captive. They are held captive by the devil to do his will. Sin makes us mad. Sin holds us captive. And sin enslaves us. It ensnares us and it enslaves us. In John 8, 34, Jesus Christ says, If anyone sins, he is a slave to sin. If anyone sins, he is a slave to sin. So sin ensnares us and then enslaves us. What can set us free? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who can set us free. Now, this morning, if you're sitting here and you're hearing maybe for the first time on a heart level about the reality of your lost condition, you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, this sounds true of me. I don't know why I think it's true of me, but as you describe the lost person, that the lost person is out of their mind, that the lost person is ensnared by sin, that the lost person is enslaved to the devil to do his will. As you describe that person, I find myself thinking, I'm far more like the lost person. And if that's you this morning, I would offer you a way of escape through faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ the bad news of the gospel is that every single one of us were mad from our sin, that every single one of us were ensnared, and every single one of us were enslaved. But Jesus Christ came. He lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death we deserve to die. And the good news of the gospel is that if anyone puts their trust in him and turns from their sin... He offers us the free gift of eternal life. So if you find yourself this morning wanting to find a way of escape, trust in Christ, and he'll set you free. He'll set you into a right mind. He'll come to your senses. You'll be set free like a bird from a snare. You will be set free from the captivity to sin and the devil. You really will. And if you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus, can I give you just a few questions to ask yourself this week as you think about what it means? What would, what would it mean in my life if I began to be empathetic toward the reality of the lost around me? We don't naturally want to think about the lostness of the lost. 
But could I encourage you this week to just take a moment and, and think about the lostness of the lost. Let me ask you this. Where is the gospel? Here's the first question you could ask yourself. Where is the gospel good news to you? Right now, where in your life is the good news of the gospel good news to you? Where are you blown away that you've come to your senses, that you've been set free from the snare, that you've been led out of captivity to the to the devil to do his will. Where is the good news? Good news to you. Where are you aware? Where in your life are you aware that you are a big sinner and that you need a big Savior? Which is easier for you? Which is easier for you? To criticize the lost people in your life or to confess your own sin to others, which is easier to you. So ask yourself that, those questions this week. And, and listen, that'd be a great thing to talk about with your small group this week. Press this truth into your heart, the reality that we can empathize with the reality of the lost. Second, we can be engaged in their release. We can be engaged in their release. God has something he wants all of us to do together to engage in releasing the lost from their captivity. Francis Schaeffer said that the local church or Christian group should be both right, but it should also be beautiful. The Christian church should be right and it should be beautiful. Listen to verses 24 and 25 again. Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. The church of Jesus is to be a beautiful thing. The church of Jesus is to be kind and patient and gentle. And we looked at those characteristics of our new community last week, that, that we're to be a beautiful people, called to, to get along together with kindness, with patience, and with gentleness. The church of Jesus is to be beautiful, but the church of Jesus has also been entrusted with the truth. The church of Jesus has also been entrusted with the truth. That it does us no good for people to think, oh, they're so nice. If we're not honest with people about their lost condition, if we're not honest with people about the 
horrible choices that we make and that they make and how we do such damage to this image-bearing life that we've been gifted by God with. If we're not honest with people about the sinfulness of sin and the need of forgiveness, the reality of hell and judgment, the wrath of God, if we're not honest with people about the truth of the gospel, then we cease to be the church of Jesus Christ as God created us to be. Kind, patient, gentle. Yes, but unbending with the truth. I've been at this a long time. Look at what it's done to my beard. Listen, this kind of grace and truth is so rare. I meet so many people, they're so nice. They let go of the truth. And I meet maybe more people in my circles who are so solid with the truth they've forgotten to be kind and patient and gentle. Oh, that we could be a church. Oh, that we could be a church that is both beautiful in our kindness, our gentleness, and our patience, and unwavering in our commitment to the truth of God's Word. Here's some questions to to help you think about how this is going in your own life. What have you been learning? What have you been learning in God's word recently? What has been God been teaching you from the truth of God's word? Jesus prayed, sanctify them according to your word. Your word is truth. So what have you been learning recently in God's word? Does the Bible... Does the Bible have freedom in your life to correct you? Does the Bible have freedom in my life to correct me? How is our experience of the love of Jesus moving us out in love? Kind, patient, gentle love. Who in your life doesn't know about Jesus and how is the Lord leading you to befriend them? Who in your life doesn't know Jesus and how is the Lord leading you to befriend them? Now what we've learned so far is we've learned to be empathetic to the reality of the loss. We've learned to be engaged in their release and how are we going to do it? We're going to be empowered by Repentance. Empowered by repentance. See, where do we find the power to engage the lost, befriend the lost? Where do we find the power to get this beautiful life? Well, the same place where the lost person finds power to be set free. It's in verse 25. That God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. What will empower the church? Repentance. What comes to mind 
when you hear the word repentance, what comes into your mind? A word that you don't understand? Maybe a monk beating themselves continually? Maybe the scolding of your, the nun or the priest in your Catholic school as you were growing up? What comes to mind when you hear the word repentance? For many of us, what comes to mind is remorse remorse. I can't believe I did it again. I feel so bad. I mean, I promised my wife I wouldn't do it again, and I did it again. I promised my friend I wouldn't do it again, and I did it again. I'm so stupid. That's remorse. I can't believe I did that, and that is not repentance. Maybe what comes to mind is resolution. Oh, Father, God, big man upstairs, could you possibly maybe sort of kind of just give me one more chance? That's resolution. I'll try harder. I'll go to church more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll share my faith more. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better friend. Oh, just give me one more chance. That's resolution. That's not repentance. Remorse and resolution are not repentance. What is repentance? Repentance for the Christian is a source of power. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, we read this. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Repentance is a source of power. Repentance is our source of power to live the Christian life when we're honest with God about our need. His grace floods into our lives. Repentance is a source of power. Repentance is being honest with God about the exact nature of our sin. In Isaiah or Psalm 51, in Psalm 51, verse 4, David prays, Against you, you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. When the Holy Spirit searches our hearts, He reveals to us just how dirty we are on the inside. And then we're honest with God. We're honest with God. God, I have no shot at reformation or resolution my only shot is if you cleanse me from the inside out. And if you do, repent. If you're honest with God about the exact nature of your sin, you know what he, do? What he, you know what he does? You know what he does? He forgives. He forgives. Why? Because he's just. How could he be just? And forgive, because the penalty has been paid by Jesus Christ, God the Son. 
God would be unjust if he didn't forgive the repentant sinner because God has already laid upon Jesus all of our sin and Jesus has paid for it in full and so now God can be blameless and just and forgive sin. And so repent. The jig is up. Be honest with God about who you really are. And you know what he'll do? He'll welcome you. He really will. You say, you don't know what I've done. You're right. You don't know what I've done either. But I know the God who forgave all my sin, and he can do the same for you. I know the God who says, in quietness and trust is your strength. I know the God who says in repentance and rest, you will be saved. So no more, no more resolution. Oh, I'll try harder. And no more remorse. I can't believe I did that again. You can't believe it. Of course you can believe it. Believe it. And then turn, turn in repentant faith to God. And you know what he'll do? He'll forgive you and he'll fill you with new power through his Holy Spirit. Now, in, in, uh, empathetic to the reality of the lost, engaged in their rele release and empowered by their repentance, let me give you a few questions to think about your repentance this week. Where in your life, where in your life do you need a fresh experience of the power of God? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your work? Is it in that habit that you just can't set aside? Where in your life do you need a fresh experience of the power of God? Where are you still living in remorse and resolution instead of repentance? Go to God today, right now. Go to God in repentant faith. Jesus, all I have is my need. Jesus says, all you need is me. Jesus, all I have is nothing. Jesus says, all you need is nothing. I'll come in and I'll forgive you. I'll give you a fresh experience of my grace and love. Why is this so important? Jack Miller, in his book on repentance, sums all that I've said up this morning in this one quotation. Repentant people, repentant people know that they have a great deal in common with all humanity. They're empathetic with the reality of the lost. Although they have been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, they are still human, and they are also sinners. As their repentance deepens, they learn to see other people compassionately. They become the beautiful people. They know that God broke through their own thick shell and that all good in themselves originated with a sovereign invasion from without. It is therefore most natural for them to feel mercy for others as they drink from the overflowing spirit of Christ. 
They touch people's sins and sickness with the fingers of their heart. Oh, dear people, that we could become a church that says to the World Golf Village, Oh, I'm empathetic. I'm empathetic with you. I, I once was lost myself. Let me tell you about the one who set me free. That we would team up together to engage people in their lost condition to set captives free. And that the power, the power for this kind of life wouldn't be in our programs or in ourselves. The power would be in repentance. All we have is our need. All we have is nothing. Fill us Jesus, help us not to be like those who you said would have nothing of your repentance. Help us to be amongst those who say, yes, it's true, it's true of me. Jesus, all I have is, is my empty life. Fill me. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, all I have is my need of you. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're experiencing a, an awakening to your need of a Savior, won't you trust Jesus as that Savior? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm so, so sorry. Won't you say to him now, Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose again. Won't you say to him now, Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, apart from your grace, apart from your love, apart from your Holy Spirit, we would not have the power to love the lost as we ought. So, Father, I pray that with repentant faith, we might open our lives to you exposing our need of you, and that you, by your grace, would flood our hearts and lives with fresh power to experience the love of Christ. And out of that love, we would move out as a beautiful people to tell World Golf Village, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, about the one who set us free. Do that, I ask in Jesus' name.